What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Narrative Watch. It is Monday, October 14th, and this week we are looking at the crazy amount of regulatory uh, interaction last week across multiple agencies, uh, across uh, actual governing bodies like the Senate, um, all around crypto. It's like everyone coordinated. Uh, and so let's actually start with the SEC, who kind of bookended the week with uh, action at the beginning and then major action at the end, as we'll see. Um, so the the early uh, early part of this was uh, Bitwise, right? So Bitwise is one of the groups that has been putting forth a Bitcoin ETF proposals. Um, and uh, if you'll remember, Van Eck withdrew their ETF proposal a couple weeks ago. Basically, probably, um, uh, you know, they, they have much more background information. They're in constant conversation with regulators. Uh, withdrawal probably means that they didn't believe that it was going to get through and that it would be worse to push it through for some reason. So uh, the, the outstanding uh, proposal at that time was this Bitwise uh, 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 proposal that was floating around. And um, basically, the SEC uh, hit it down pretty hard, right? So you can see here, Bitwise uh, is saying that the SEC issued a 112-page order disapproving the filing for the Bitcoin ETF trust. Um, though disapproved doesn't seem positive, this is a productive step in the journey towards a regulated uh, crypto product. Um, so exchange-traded product. Uh, so basically, uh, they, they then go on to talk about why they didn't withdraw it. Um, and uh, so Jake Shervinsky, uh, one of the crypto legal core, uh, crypto Twitter legal core, had a couple things to say. First, um, he thought that this outcome wasn't surprising, right? If you've been watching uh, the SEC actions, it doesn't seem like this has been, um, it didn't seem like this was going to happen, right? Chances seem pretty low. Uh, he did say that he said this, this excruciatingly detailed was his words to describe the 112 uh, page order. And he says it reads like a damning indictment of Bitcoin's market structure. Um, now others, you can see Nomad down here says, reading the comments and there's only a single person out of 40 write-ins. The rest read like crypto Twitter whining on both sides of the argument. Uh, I think the only way something is going to pass at this rate is if somebody believes enough to, to sue. Um, Frank from the block says, damning, yes, but amazing they are giving the space this level of brain space. So saying that, you know, the fact that they have 112 pages to pull up is still potentially positive. Uh, but where Jake really lands on this is he says, at this point, it's reasonable to assume that Jay Clayton's SEC will never approve a Bitcoin ETF. His term ends on June 5th, uh, 2021, but could go another 18 months. Usually we'd see new ETF proposals filed immediately after rejection, but it might be time to take a year off. Uh, and then he goes on. And he says to get ETF approval anytime soon, the SEC would have to change its views on how sponsors can satisfy the Exchange Act. Chairman Clayton supports the current view that Bitcoin is susceptible to manipulation and surveillance sharing agreements with regulated markets are required. So basically, the idea here is that uh, there seems to be a fundamental belief that the markets are too susceptible to manipulation. Uh, and so that's a, that's kind of a, a big deal. So that's where we started the week, right? Uh, SEC, uh, maybe not surprisingly, but still uh, robustly denying the latest ETF proposal. Then we got kind of a surprise. You can see here Niraj from Coin Center, IRS cryptocurrency guidance. Uh, and basically, this is the first time that we've gotten guidance from the IRS around uh, tax and crypto policy for like five years, since 2014. Uh, he 
so uh, the, the quote that Niraj grabbed is, quote, if a hard fork is followed by an airdrop and you receive new cryptocurrency, you will have taxable income in the taxable year you receive that cryptocurrency. Uh, so this is the real, what the real point of uh, debate and contention is around this guidance is that it seems to be indicating that if you receive tokens in an airdrop from a fork, right? So when Bitcoin Cash forks uh, Bitcoin, you have a tax liability for those uh, for those tokens, whether you wanted them or not, whether you approve them or not. Now, obviously, this has a lot of people kind of freaking out, right? So uh, you have um, Marco Santori from Blockchain uh, did one of his threads on this. Um, uh, and he points out, he says, me, I'm not a tax lawyer, but I do think it's patently unfair to force individuals to liquidate hard to liquidate coins just to pay taxes on income. They never had control over receiving and it's probably not worth that much all, uh, that much anyways. But the real question is this one. Um, uh, have I exercised dominion and control, right? This is the phrase. Uh, I think someone else that I, I don't have the tweet pulled up, but someone else made the joke that this idea people were all Googling dominion and control um, because that is uh, is what it comes down to. Uh, Coin Center in their kind of formal write-up of this said that new IRS guidance is like, quote, owning in owing income tax when someone buries a gold bar on your property and doesn't tell you about it. Um, and there were a few others. Uh, Jameson Lop also came out hard against this. Uh, this IRS guidance is a hot mess. What if you have keys but no software from which to spend the asset? What if you never sell or transfer the asset and it drops 90% in value? What the What's the value if the asset isn't even trading at the time of the fork? Um, so, you know, the people who were less suspicious, less skeptical, basically said, like, unless this shows up in your Coinbase account, you know, that you can immediately sell it, uh, you're not going to have that liability. Um, but I still think that it creates this very weird dynamic, right? And uh, like take the take the you know BSV or Bitcoin Cash that shows up in your Coinbase account like well one you have to know to go look for it uh, two by the time that you realize let's say you're on vacation for two weeks in this market uh, the value of the asset could have gone down fifty percent in that time especially for uh, kind of like a you know one of these forks that uh, has a bunch of hype going into it but is really almost a pump and dump type of thing. Um, you are you going to owe on the liability of when it hits your account like th there's a really interesting and challenging set of issues and this seems to me to just further complicate things um if nothing else it certainly demonstrates just what a uh, a fundament what set of fundamental questions remain in terms of just what the hell crypto assets are um it's very clear from last week's action that still absolutely nobody has any goddamn idea uh what tokens actually are <laughs> from a regulatory standpoint and how to how to do things with them, um, but it wasn't just these regulatory that the regulatory bodies that got up in crypto's business. It was also uh, the actual Senate itself. So the beginning of the week, obviously, we've been talking a lot uh, about Libra and the implications of Libra, and in particular the. Uh, the, the questions that Libra brings up for governments and the U.S. government in particular about one, what's the future of digital money? And two, what's the future of uh, the digital global reserve currency? Um, what's the U.S. dollar's role in that? How does it preserve that? And, uh, and so it's no secret that the U.S. has been um, uh, relatively hostile to, uh, to Libra. Um, and it's to some extent that's been for multiple reasons, right? That's been about uh, Zuckerberg in particular and kind of the unfinished business 
that I think the U.S. government feels like it has with Facebook. Um, but it's also uh, about this the the question, the fundamental potential to undermine the U.S. dollar as a global reserve currency. Um, so last week we saw a really kind of intense. Uh, and threatening letter in a way um, from uh, from two senators, from uh, Sherrod Brown, uh, who's from Ohio, and um, uh, Brian Schatz from Hawaii, um, both of whom were some of the most outspokenly uh, kind of down on Libra when David Marcus testified before them. Uh, and there's two two notable kind of parts of this. One is they're very much using the like the criminal element, save the children kind of argument, right? So you can see down here, the risks are not hypothetical. The New York Times recently reported a proliferation of online child sexual abuse due in large part to tech platforms like Facebook. In fact, 12 million of the 18.4 million reports of child sexual abuse photos and videos around the world last year were attributed to Facebook Messenger. It is chilling to think what could happen if Facebook combines encrypted messaging with embedded anonymous global payments via Libra. So there's a whole lot going on here. Uh, that is way beyond the scope of this, but suffice it to say, the narrative that they're going with is the the crime narrative, which has always been there waiting for 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 crypto. It's always been the biggest thing that crypto has to deal with. You know, like energy usage and all those things, forget it. At the end of the day, when it comes to regulators, the biggest fight is about the idea of uh, of this is enabling crime, right? And, um, and they're even talking about encryption, right? There's a whole separate battle going on around whether Facebook is going to have to, is going to be able to actually uh, do end-to-end -end encryption or whether that creates too many barriers for law enforcement. The current attorney general, William Barr, is pushing them aggressively hard. So Facebook has all these things going on just as it relates to that. So that was the one note, one, one of the two notable things. The second is uh, this sentence over here. Um, Facebook is attempting to accomplish that objective by shifting the risks and need to design new compliance regimes onto regulated members of the Libra Association like uh, your companies. And here's the money quote. If you take this on, you can expect a high level of scrutiny from regulators, not only on Libra-related payment activities, but on all payment activities. It's basically a threat, right? And it may be a true threat. It may be more like a promise, but it's still a threat. It's saying, get the hell out of this association or we're going to come after you. And that is a, an aggressive tone that I think a lot of people had issues with, right? So you have uh, Bruce Fenton over here. Um, oh, let's actually get to the point. So this happened earlier in the week. Uh, by Friday, so right, right as the day was ending on Friday, there was this massive news dump where all of a sudden uh, eBay and then Stripe and then MasterCard and then Visa uh, had all left the Libra Association. Um, so it worked. Basically, the threat worked, right? And so that letter that we were just reading was sent to three of those people, Stripe, uh, Visa, and MasterCard. And of course they're going to leave. Like, do you want that if you're just running a normal business? Like, Stripe isn't sure exactly what the hell Libra is going to do for it. Visa and MasterCard certainly aren't sure. In some ways, you got to think Libra is just a hedge for them. Uh, and so when two senators, including a very high-ranking senator in Sherrod Brown, are coming after them and saying, we're going to go after you more for this, they're going to say, right, piss off, Zuckerberg. Sorry, bro, don't care. And sure enough, that's what happened, right? So Bruce Fenton here says, Maxine Waters, who I guarantee could not explain the first thing about financial tech or blockchains, and her cronies in Congress have succeeded in getting some of the most profitable, popular, and innovative companies to leave the Libra project before it even started. Terrible. Um, you know, I, I think that there's plenty of, uh, of ire to go around. I would say that I think that in this particular case, the onus is much more on, on Schatz and Brown there. Um, then I also really liked this thread from, uh, from Collins Belton over here, who's an attorney at Atrium. And he says, so as many predicted, looks like Libra is all but DOA unless David Marcus and Facebook uh, pull off a minor miracle. 
I'm going to say something that will probably get me shunned by some. I think this should upset a lot of people, not because the result uh, isn't great for crypto, but because the manner in which governments achieve this. I've been struggling to articulate just why I got this sinking feeling seeing this play out, but weirdly seeing other shadow government action curtailing innovation globally more recently has helped crystallize things with me. And basically he goes on to describe how this uh, this pressure, this way that the government can assert itself vis-a-vis new technology innovation, it just leaves this weird feeling, right? This weird uh, frustration. And I think, you know, the concern that he comes down to is um, uh, is over here. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically... D democracies are meant to stymie arbitrary and capricious treatment, not encourage it. Um, and I think that the worry here is like, doesn't this just happen to Bitcoin at some point too, if it ever should become such a threat? Um, this is kind of exactly the point that, that Sabo is making. So he's Nick Sabo commented on David Marcus's thread. And he says, you might want to ask yourself why the pressure has been so intense and read some history that Bitcoin pioneers were aware of. For example, the failure of eGold. Your failure to learn from history has caused you to, at great cost, recapitulate the failures from the past. Um, and Marcus basically says, like, listen, I, I had a lot of appreciation for Satoshi and Bitcoin before, but I have to say that appreciation is growing. Um, you know, it, it still is this crazy singular moment, right, of a uh, of such a powerful thing in, in what Bitcoin has become, not having a founder and a central point of failure in a founder um, and not even having an organization. Uh, that's what makes it such a different phenomenon. And so that was, I think for a lot of people, that was what was reinforced last week. Um, but there's still, even though it was like Friday at 4.50 at this point, things weren't done. Uh, so uh, Haley Lennon earlier in the week had say had said, why can't we chat, why can we chat and Telegram have cryptocurrency, but Facebook can't? This is coming after the, the letter before before all this, uh, the, the actual members left. And then she followed that up uh, because at basically Friday at like 4.55 Eastern time, uh, she says, wow, the SEC answered, they can't. SEC to halt Telegram's $1.7 billion token offering. So basically, the, like I said, the SEC started and ended the week. This The second round was uh, SEC actually coming in and saying basically that uh, that the, the Telegram's uh, offering was an unregistered digital token offering. It has filed an emergency action, uh, obtained temporary restraining order against two offshore entities. Um, and it's doing this before those tokens get distributed, right? So they were supposed to be distributed at the end of the month. Uh, that's why it was... Uh, that's why it was the action happened now, why it was an emergency action. So there's tons of ramifications for this. Again, a little bit beyond the scope of this because we're kind of just looking at the full overview. Uh, but the one thing that's worth noting is, so Brian, Fabian Crane, he said, I don't get this. Didn't Telegram sell using a SAF-like thing under Reg D exemption to accredited investors only? Any thoughts? Uh, and he tagged in a bunch of people. And realistically, uh, this is a this is a, a, a brutal moment for the idea of SAFs, the Safe Agreement for Future Tokens, which is kind of the framework that was set up to hopefully allow people to uh, do these kind of token securities offerings without them being securities offerings. Um, this seems to be a rejection of that on some level. So I would say it's worth going through and, and reading more about this. But um, to the extent that we are wondering what the SEC thinks about even compliant token sales that are through this new version of compliance, which is kind of self-invented, i.e. the SAFT, uh, it seems not to be really a thing. Um, so uh, through all this, obviously, a lot of kind of aggressive uh, aggressive action against crypto, there was one positive, positive note from a regulatory body, which was that 
the CFTC, uh, Heath Tarbert, the uh, CFTC chair, in an, uh, or not in an interview yet, in an interview at a conference, um, he basically said that uh, that the CFT considers ETH a commodity, uh, that ETH, they anticipate futures products uh, soon. So you can see uh, Ryan Adams coming in, but so what, is, what does this actually mean? Uh, this means that they, it's kind of reinforcing what they, what we heard last year uh, from the SEC, that maybe Ethereum or Ether was a security when it was being sold, but that they didn't think it was a security now, right? That it did no longer constituted a security. Um, and that creates lots and lots of uh, more space for it to, to to operate, right? For people to build uh, derivative products and things around that. And that, so Ethereum is kind of being uh, granted that status in, in the view of the CFTC, uh, you know, as of last week. Um, now, I, I will say, so I, th I think there's obvious positives there. Um, I will say that as many folks pointed out that that doesn't mean that you can just launch another Ethereum now, right? And we keep coming back to this idea that um, tokens may be a security at the time of sale, that a token sale is a securities option offering, even if they become not securities later. Uh, and that kind of creates a, a, a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing where, um, you know, people just can't go out and sell tokens anymore, because it's pretty clear that basically all of those offerings are considered uh, by the SEC to be securities offerings, even if the SEC doesn't consider them uh, securities later on. Um, and, uh, and so it's kind of there's this, uh, there's this challenge where um, basically it may be that from a regulatory standpoint, only thing that have existed for a sufficiently long time and whose kind of token distributions were sufficiently far in the past uh, are, are kosher. So uh, that's kind of what Preston is saying here. He says the CFTC chair declared Ethereum a commodity today, all but staking, uh, driving a stake through the heart of Bitcoiners who had hoped it would be declared a security. Here's why lawyers shouldn't advise their clients to go out and launch Ethereum 2.0. What lots of stuff this week, right? A uh, huge amount of action. Um, it's clear that crypto is on the agenda. It is clear that uh, that crypto is a big part of the conversation. Um, it's clear that crypto is uh, still has a long way to go before most people uh, at these agencies in these bodies are ready to accept it into the system. Uh, for some, that's going to mean a lot more patience, uh, a lot more continuing to work with regulators. For others, it's going to be a reaffirmation of uh, of assets like Bitcoin that really function entirely outside of uh, of the normal system. Uh, either way, always fascinating to watch. Um, certainly deserving of one of these narrative watch slots to just see just how much is happening right now. Uh, and thanks guys for hanging out. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow with Crypto Daily 3 at 3 as every weekday. And I will see you then. Peace.